This episode is brought to you by the Hammerhead Karoo 2 Cycling Computer, where for a limited time, you can get up to $170 off when you trade in your current cycling computer and buy a Karoo 2. Find out how to do this a little later on in the show. The performance mind is touted as the last frontier of human performance. But what we're talking about today has nothing to do with the exploration of the various factors that affect endurance and how much or how little we know about each of them. Today, it's all about concrete insights by doing an inventory of your mental strengths and weaknesses and then using some recommended tools and skills to improve your mental performance in two ways. One, make your bad days less bad. And two, make your good days more gooder. Or should I say better? Because if we're talking about longevity, which is how I see people reach their potential, there's no shortcuts. What you do on the bad days matters more than the good days, meaning what you do when you don't feel like it, when everything seems hard, matters more to the ultimate outcome of performance than what you do when it's easy. And your mental state plays a key role in that. Yo, and welcome back to Ride Better, Faster, a show about cycling, training, and racing. I'm Damien Roos. Today, let's take a peek inside your mind to find out... ...and give you a process to work on the parts that might be holding your performance back. Plus, we take a look at the validation studies behind a new product promising to detect your VT1 and VT2 thresholds. When it comes down to it, this is all about consistency. Getting your head in the right place will help you consistently perform closer to your potential and avoid subpar performances. And having a set of personalized and specific mental skills will help you consistently execute training and pressure-packed competitions as well. I really have only one other argument about why this is a worthwhile pursuit. Because from experience, my guess is that if you go through this process, you'll naturally see where you could tighten your mental game and how that will benefit you. But just for the sake of it, here's the biggest objection I get when talking about this stuff. Mental skills are innate. And I get it. I can see how easy it is to believe that everyone's mental game is an innate characteristic that cannot be taught. So you may believe that athletes are either blessed with these strong mental skills as part of their personality or genetic makeup, or have learned them through experience. Exactly what you believe doesn't matter as much as not believing that there's little anyone can do to improve their mental game. And I straight up want to call BS on that. I'll give it to you that we are all born with certain physical and psychological predispositions, and that mental skills are shaped and developed through the experiences of everyday life, but being motivated, staying calm under pressure, and maintaining confidence under pressure to perform are not simply innate qualities. They are mental skills that great athletes have learned through experience or through mental skills training. So this can all be learned and practiced, and let's move forward with that mindset. A quick note here, I'm not trying to fill the role of a psychologist by talking to you about this stuff, rather teaching you the mental skills necessary to achieve success in sport and potentially life in general, as there is a lot of crossover. If you're dealing with significant life or personal issues, you will need more psychological assistance from a mental health professional. 
Now, this whole performance mind operating system thing is built on the back of mental skills training. And mental skills training is the systematic and consistent use of mental training tools, goal setting, imagery, relaxation and energization, and self-talk to build the mental skills or psychological attributes for high performance, motivation, energy management, attention, stress management, and confidence. And like we just discussed, these things might not be new to you. In fact, you may be doing them already. But the interesting thing about embarking on this journey is finding the gaps, the ones that you may not think about or know about, but don't know what to do about. Then you can get really specific with the work you do around these gaps and set a training program to help you get better in those areas, whether this is in racing or in training. And we'll start with something I like to call the mental sweep. There's this thing called a mind sweep created by David Allen, the creator of Getting Things Done or GTD to the productivity crowd. And it's essentially emptying your mind by writing down every thought that's floating around. It's something I'll do if I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'll sit down, I'll set a timer for 20 minutes and just write out lists of things that are on my mind. And this helps identify everything that requires my attention or has the possibility of seeping into and affecting other parts of my life. If I spend enough time sitting and writing, I could probably identify all the things in my head that I haven't done anything about. And more often than not, this is related to some level of incompletion or procrastination. So it's a bottleneck that's stopping me from progressing. And as long as things keep accumulating, there is no way that they'll get done. It's a simple but powerful idea that helps clear the mind to focus better while having a concrete list of items written down so you can address them one by one at a later date. And that's kind of the goal for today, but in a performance sense. And here is where we get a little bit more specific with a mental sweep. The mental sweep includes three parts, performance profiling, a mental skills assessment, and a mental training log. These not only identify gaps, but also give you an order to work on things based on the value you assign to different parts of performance. It digs down into what an athlete values, what you value. And values are the things that are always guiding us. And not to be confused with goals, which is what we set in the direction of our values. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about performance profiling. Performance profiling is a relatively simple way to help athletes help you identify your physical and mental strengths and weaknesses. And the format here is pretty simple. You can do it on a piece of paper or a word processor. And there are three parts to it. Number one is listing 10 to 20 characteristics that you believe are important to performance. Number two Assign a number of importance from 1 to 10 for each item. And number three, give a percentage of current skill level compared to a percentage of performance potential. At the end of this process, you'll have a list of your top eight performance characteristics, which is actually an ordered list of your values and what you believe contributes to your performance. You'll also have an idea of where you are, which is super important because it is only when you start where you are that you can get where you want to go, but you will also have a target of where you want to go, where you want to be. All of that is pretty powerful already, but we're not done yet because now we get to the specifics of an inventory that assesses mental skills in sport, aka a mental skills assessment. And there's a bunch of scientifically validated assessments out there. My weapon of choice is the test of performance strategies or TOPS. 
It's a 64 item assessment. It consists of eight subscales for competition, goal setting, self-talk, imagery, emotional control, relaxation, positive thinking and activation, and eight for training with attention control replacing positive thinking. And this form of assessment makes it really easy to identify areas of personal strengths and weaknesses. TOPS is a licensed instrument, so you can hunt around and find it online and then do the scoring manually, which is possible. It takes a bit of time, but it's possible. Or you can pay 20 bucks US at topsfirst.com for them to do the heavy lifting for you. It's totally up to you. Now, we aren't done with the sweep just yet. We've got the final part to do, and this takes a little bit longer. It's done before and during training or racing. And it's filling in important information around actual performance. It's a form of mental training log, and it's really useful to get a understanding into the workings of the brain across different situations and even different days. And the big thing here is just to record as much data as you can, because take something like confidence. Say you wake up confident today. If you know things that feed into your confidence, you can affect it. If you start to see you're writing faster when you do this, then you can double down on it. But if you're not capturing this information, you're sort of just groping for things without being able to measure any effects. I have a form I use for this to collect baseline data for several weeks, which tracks athlete pre and mid training levels on five mental skills and overall performance. And then there's also room for comments. Now we're done with assessment. It's about finding the right place to start. And I found this is a mix of all three parts of the mental sweep. And I will admit it gets a bit wonky here, but it does get solid when you start looking at your starting points. It really does start to get straightened out because it's a pretty clear process from this point onwards. But I want to make a note here that by this stage, if nothing stands out to you, you can't see any gaps, then sure, stop here. But if you're honest with yourself, there's always going to be something to work on. Maybe you need to involve another person to run over it or approach it a slightly different way, but there really is always something you can do to get that little bit better. Because I really have this belief that what got you here will not get you there. So when things change, a new assessment needs to be made in order to have a look and see what is different in the new environment, how you're approaching things different, and then there's the gaps that you can start to approach with this stuff. As for where we would start once you get past this point, it's recommended to first work on mental training tools and then progress to mental skills. As an example of this, if we're looking to work on self-talk, we would do self-talk before working on stress management. But no matter what you choose to do first, the three phases of mental skill development are the same. First phase, education phase, awareness. Number two, acquisition phase, learning, focus development on basic skills. And phase three is the implementation phase, overlearning and execution focus. For the rest of the podcast, I'm going to run through the three phases of mental skill development for one of the training tools, relaxation. about you but i love cycling mainly for two things tech and beauty the technology that goes along with everything to do with bikes and training and all that and the beauty looking good looking good when you're hurting the pain the beauty of pain all that stuff so when a product like the Kairu 2 comes along and combines both 
It's kind of like my dream scenario. We can talk about their climber feature that lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time, or how tens of thousands of cyclists have chosen the Kuru 2 as their computer of choice. But when it comes down to it, if it doesn't work well and look good, I don't want anything to do with it. So I was relieved the moment I clipped a Kuru 2 onto my bike, turned it on, and went for a ride. It's cool, it's sexy, and it works. And now Hammerhead are making the choice to buy one even easier. Because for a limited time, Hammerhead have an incredible deal. Buy a Karu 2 at hammerhead.io forward slash trade and get up to $170 when you trade in your current cycling computer. That's a rebate of up to $170 when you trade up to a Karu 2 from a Hammerhead. And trade in your current cycling computer only for a limited time. This offer won't last and it's only available at hammerhead.io forward slash trade. So don't wait to trade in and trade up to Karu 2 today and get up to $170 off your purchase. That's hammerhead.io forward slash trade and get your trade started today. So relaxation, phase one, education. What the hell is relaxation? To relax is to decrease unwanted muscular tension, reduce excessive activation of the sympathetic nervous system, and calm the mind by keeping it productively occupied. Techniques? Some muscle-to-mind techniques aim to reduce muscular tension, while others focus on lowering excessive activation, and some do both. The two techniques here are muscle-to-mind techniques, such as diaphragmatic breathing and progressive muscle relaxation, PMR, mind-to-muscle techniques, such as imagery and meditation, focus on calming the mind in order to relax the body. Relaxation models. You want to go from total relaxation to cued relaxation to rapid relaxation. To explain the difference between these three, total relaxation is a lengthier strategy. It's 10 to 20 minutes or so that helps you relax as completely as possible. It can be used to help you alleviate chronic stress and anxiety and to recover from workouts or injuries. The big thing here is that you take as long as is needed to relax. Use diaphragmatic breathing with any effective relaxation strategy. This is the base where you start because you really have to learn what complete relaxation feels like in order to trigger optimal relaxation when needed during competition. Then you move on to cued relaxation and this technique links total relaxation or energization with rapid relaxation or energization. You pair your relaxation cue word with a deeply relaxed state. And then when you need it, when you need to pull it up and need to be relaxed, you repeat your relaxation cue word each time you exhale and you focus on breathing and how relaxation feels. And then finally, rapid relaxation. It's an abbreviated form that allows optimal relaxation in a few seconds. Techniques that need to work on the spot, generally in three to five seconds, in order to be useful. For rapid relaxation, take one or two diaphragmatic breaths and repeat your relaxation cue word after each exhalation. Putting all that together, now we have to choose a total relaxation strategy because that will be our baseline. And there's five options that are in front of us right now for that. We can choose diaphragmatic breathing or imagery relaxation or progressive muscle relaxation or self-directed relaxation or music. Now, music is pretty sexy because I don't know if you've heard of this thing called bioral beats. Bioral beats are a form of brainwave entertainment that have been shown to have positive effects on stress, anxiety, focus, and motivation, confidence, etc. And they work at certain hertz, 
go through and do a different job. I don't want to get too far into it, but something that you might want to look into is music is your personal choice here. But for me, something like progressive muscle relaxation is a good place to start here. It's just the idea that you're finding a comfortable spot and then you're working through tensing and relaxing different muscle groups. Athletes, because they have a bit more body awareness, can start with, say, there's a seven muscle group process, or you could even start with four muscle group stages. And there are some cool apps that you can run through this. So you could start at seven, then go to four, and then you work all the way through and you're doing it mentally only. Then as far as what cued relaxation is, it's the next step. And to use it, athletes develop a strong association between a chosen cue word and deep levels of relaxation. So with sufficient practice, the cue word triggers a relaxation response. To develop this skill, you really need to get deeply relaxed by using total relaxation techniques first. And then on a 10-point scale, with one indicating most tense and 10 indicating most relaxed, then you need to have a score of 8 or above. 8 or above is this cutoff where if you're not above that number, then you don't want to practice the relaxation cue word because you can get into trouble. But you are picking a word like relax, calm, peaceful, chill, and you select it and you pair it with the feelings of deep relaxation for 15 to 20 repetitions. And each time you exhale, you repeat the cue word. And then when needed, you can call back this feeling with your cue word to stimulate rapid relaxation by taking one or two diaphragmatic breaths and repeating your cue word with each exhalation. Cue word relaxation works in three to five seconds and allows you to relax as much as needed to perform at your best. When it comes to when you would use this technique, I think something like if you're in a break and you're swinging off the front after you've put a hard effort in, if you're kind of catching your breath and you're allowing yourself to do a couple of diaphragmatic breaths, which is kind of belly breathing, you then can use the cue word just to calm your mind down to constantly remind yourself of the best strategy that's needed to be successful in that breakaway, whatever that is for the time. But breathing is really powerful and it has an immediate link to the body over real-time control of our brain state. So it is a really important tool that can be used. But then adding that cue word just takes it to that next level. If you want to get really specific with this stuff, then having something like a tension and energy log helps you monitor tension and energy patterns for several days, identifying circumstances associated with high tension and low energy. And you can log and record your tension and energy levels associated with specific situations and then identify where you are if you're feeling too tense or too relaxed and record thoughts around these so that you then understand a little bit better how you respond to different situations and when exactly a relaxation technique would be necessary. So when we move into phase two, which is acquisition, we get really specific. We select a practice time and location where we will minimize distractions. We will perform total relaxation once a day. We will do two or three weeks of sessions. So you can really master these skills. And we're only working on one thing at a time here. So there's not overwhelmed. So there's not too much you need to add into somebody's program. And once you get into that relaxed state, that's when you're practicing your cue word. And then once you have that cue word nailed, then you start doing rapid relaxation and start to use that in specific situations in training and racing to see how that is working and how it is impacting performance. 
and phase three, implementation. So after two or three weeks of awareness and developing uh, rapid relaxation, you move into a maintenance sort of schedule where relaxation and energization checks are done once or twice during each training and you can reduce the frequency of total relaxation sessions. So knocking it down to say three times a week instead of seven and just having it around key sessions. So it becomes a really important tool to maximizing performance under certain conditions. And then slowly over time, you're, you're introducing it to more and more stressful situations, bigger and bigger races, bigger and bigger and more and more important parts in those races and having a feedback loop of actually being aware of what's happening and then feeding that back in, changing that, talking about it and adjusting it when needed. So that's a complete process for one skill. And there are lots of different ones you could choose and your starting point will be different. And that's what a personalized plan and doing all the work at the start is all about. It's setting up, finding those gaps and then working on that. To wrap up here, I just want to say that if you have done any competitive sport for any amount of time, you understand how important the mental side of competition is. And you want to do everything you can to develop that mental side of competition, as well as the physiological development. I didn't go too deep into it, but the logic that I presented here around mental training, to me, makes it really compelling. And the potential benefits are way too enticing not to at least implement a basic mental skills training program on a trial basis, if not only to work on your consistency, but also to prove to yourself that your mental game is not an innate characteristic and it can be taught and you can do better on bad days and gooder on good days. It's time once again for The Chaser, the segment of the show where I talk about something that is probably unreleased untested or has nothing to do with cycling. This time it's a smart shirt called Timewear. That's T-Y-M-E-W-E-A-R. It's a sleeveless top smart shirt with a built-in breathing sensor, which is claimed to measure your breathing rate, tidal volume, and airflow. It also has a detachable pod that has an IMU, and IMU stands for Inertial Measurement unit. An IMU sensor is a combination of an accelerometer and a gyroscope sensor, and it's used to detect movements and measure the intensity of movements in terms of acceleration and rotational speeds. And it also has an elevation sensor that measures your precise elevation. And there's other metrics as well from this, ground contact time, air time, cadence, running power, and biometrics training load. I'm not sure what all of those mean, but they are all apparently there. The pod connects to your phone or your smartwatch to record and report all of this data live via their app, which before we get any further, let's talk about price. It's an all-in monthly subscription, so you can choose monthly with a minimum six-month commitment or annually, and it's 336 US per year, and that includes your shirt, sensor, and the app subscription. But what's the time's unique selling proposition? Ventilatory threshold detection is what they are leading with. But this includes breathing metrics like breathing rate, tidal volume, minute ventilation. So they are looking at detecting VT1 and VT2 and building their metrics and training system around those. They've done some third-party validation of their breathing-related metrics, or at least have done a bunch of graded exercise tests, and they have three studies on their website. Only one of those studies was published this year in the International Journal of Research in Exercise Physiology, which says it's a peer-reviewed 
internet-based journal. But anyway, in this study, they retrospectively analyzed a cohort of graded exercise tests and compared ventilatory, 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 ventilatory thresholds, VT1 and VT2, predicted from their technology, or these thresholds were derived from indirect calorimetry. And here are the results from this study. For power, at VT1, the mean differences between these two methods were 12.3 plus or minus 21.3 watts. VT2, the mean differences were 4.9 plus or minus 21.5 watts. Heart rate, VT1, the mean differences were 2.6 plus or minus 5.6 beats per minute. And the VT2, the mean differences were 0.4 plus or minus 5.9 beats per minute. I'm not going to interpret the results, but I will say that it's not a perfect measure. It does seem within the realm of normal error percentages, though. Another one of their studies, which is not published yet, but it looks like it was finalized in November 2021, has this conclusion. When compared to ventilatory thresholds derived from the gold standard method using indirect calorimetry, time appears to underestimate the VT1 workload across both trials and heart rate for trial 1. However, time appears to underestimate VT2 workload and heart rate across both trials. The result from this study suggests the time wear smart shirt is less valid but is comparable in reliability when compared to the gold standard. Moreover, Despite the underestimation of time VT1 and VT2, the time-detected personalized ventilatory thresholds will provide an adequate training workload for most individuals. In conclusion, the TimeWear Smart Shirt provides easy, accessible testing to established threshold-guided training zones, but does not devalue the long-standing laboratory equivalent. In a number sense, this study had a VT1 accuracy of 97.3%, and VT2 accuracy of 95.8%. Again, I'm not going to say whether this is good or bad. I'll leave that up to you and how much error you're comfortable with. To sum up time here, although they have been around since 2014, the product has only just started getting out, but in 2020, they got $1.4 million from a state-owned Icelandic venture fund. One of the co-founders is from Iceland. So have some money to kickstart the business. But it's more than just that that makes me think we will see a lot more from this company. Accurate threshold detection is a difficult job and anything that can unbundle the metabolic cart and bring it to the masses is bound to have an impact if it's accurate, reliable and priced right, which I kind of think this product is. Also, breathing metrics play well in the health and wellness space, so there's lots of potential there for off bike applications. And with that, Ride Better, Faster is written, hosted, and scored by me, Damien Roos. Until next time, ride well. <laughs>